Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Scott Finlow, who's the chief marketing officer of PepsiCo's global food service business. On the show today, we talk about PepsiCo's push into sustainability and specifically the Beyond the Bottle initiative. And we also talk about PepsiCo and their food service divisions, beta testing of a SodaStream professional. And you'll also know that uh, I love SodaStream and didn't actually realize until this conversation that uh, PepsiCo owns SodaStream. So interesting conversation today with Scott about food service, SodaStream professional, covid and many, many other topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott Finlow. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. Excited to have a chat. Yeah. So I was looking at your background, and you've been at PepsiCo for 21 years. That is, in this day and age, quite an accomplishment. Just curious, what's kept you there that long and entertained, I guess, for 20, 20 plus years? Fully entertained. Yeah. I'd start with culture. I think PepsiCo's culture, um, that uh, that essentially essentially exists is uh, it's been something that has worked incredibly well to me and has kept me motivated and inspired. It's a culture that's focused on constantly focused on growth. It's incredibly dynamic and fast moving. That's reflected in the leadership and in the people. All the PepsiCo leaders that I've worked with are 
clear about setting agendas. Um, they're effective at working with other people. And then obviously the people themselves, they're smart, they're dynamic, they're caring. And that's what's really kept me here first and foremost. Secondarily, it's a company full of tremendous opportunity, really broad range of businesses, food, beverage, et cetera, different markets around the world. The brands themselves, a remarkable portfolio of brands on the food side and the beverage side. And over the course of 21 years, you know, a, a vastly changing portfolio of brands. It's a very different company today than it was the day I joined. And then the last point, which I think is really important, is it's a mission-driven company, a company with a, a clear purpose. And that's important, and I would say increasingly important to me and to a lot of other people, by the way. That's great. That's great. I know you've you've had a number of different stops over the years. And tell me a little bit, like, where did you get started and what have been some of those maybe significant posts or positions along the way? Yeah, sure. It is a bit of a, it is a, bit of a long road. I won't take you on a, a full tour. <laughs> but I started, I actually started in a sales organization in California doing, actually working in the category management organization as we stood up that function on the beverage business. And that was something that taught me a lot about customers and analytics and data. But I also learned in that experience that my passion was wanting to be further upstream, I'll say, in the planning and development process. I went to New York and took a role in the brand team, working on the Aquafina brand, leading that brand, which was a great experience for me and, and an opportunity for me in that regard. Taught me the fundamentals, I would say, of brand building and brand management and brought me closer to the consumer. I then went overseas for six years. I led our beverage business in Japan and Korea from a marketing perspective. And that's such a massive change on almost every level, personally and professionally. On the career side, that was about understanding a different set of consumers. A real focus on driving growth through innovation as well, which became really an anchor of that experience. Had the fortune to do some things like launch Gatorade in Japan and also in Korea and do it in some different ways with some different formulas and flavors that really broke new ground. Did the same with Pepsi Twist, put juice into Pepsi for the first time in the world. And, you know, had a really exciting time working in those different markets with different partners and I think really opened up the aperture and the lens for me. Then did a, a snacks marketing role across Asia Pacific, brought me into the foods business for the first time. We launched some new platforms and also greenfielded a business from scratch in Vietnam that still exists today. We launched a, a platform called Poka in every aspect of that business in about 12 months. And that really in some ways taught me that you can do anything at PepsiCo and tried never to leave that behind. I then moved into the Insights organization for about eight years and again, regrounding in the consumer. I think a lot of the work helped me understand the importance of building scale across organizations, but also maintaining incredible local relevance, especially as it relates to product innovation. And I was back in the US working in Shopper Insights for a number of years, and that gave me exposure to the fast-moving retail world and what was happening in that space, discounters, e-commerce, et cetera, and how disruptive that was becoming. And also, we started at that point to pivot to creating products on the Insights side, which was, I think, new for us and had great results. And then I moved into the food service organization and done a bunch of different work here around innovation. And uh, I think a key learning in this has been really the power of having a really clear purpose, especially of late, in helping some of our customers and helping an industry that's been hurt really hard by what's been happening in the world. Yeah. 
Well, you've, I mean, you've definitely had quite the experiences starting, I mean, sales, marketing insights, uh, geographies, new entrepreneurial initiatives. I mean, I, I can understand why you spent a large chunk of your career at PepsiCo. That's amazing. I feel like I'm just getting started since I often tell people I show up for work every day and I still, in many ways, don't feel like I know what I'm doing just because of the complexity and the, and the fast moving nature of the business. I mean, it's, it's different every day. The company's different. The consumer's different. The world we operate in is very different. And just being responsive to that means it's constantly energizing. I got another 21 years in me, I think. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And it, it probably could spend them at PepsiCo because it, it, it seems like there, to your point, there's no, no end to the possibilities of things you could work on, um, things that you could do. Well, now you're the CMO of PepsiCo Food Service. Not all of the listeners to the show, I'm sure, come from CPG or understand the delineation between the consumer side and the food service side. Can you help listeners understand what is all included in food service? You mean sometimes we use nomenclature inside <laughs> companies that isn't consumer facing? Exactly. Exactly. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but food service is the way I might describe it is it's where you live. It's where you work. It's where you play. It's where you dine. It's it's all of those places where you are when you're not at home. And for us, it's Marriott, it's Taco Bell, it's Buffalo Wild Wings, it's Vail, MetLife, MSG, it's Penn State University and Hershey Park. It's now Regal Theaters. You know, those are the places that are food service. Those are our customers. And when you think about food service and you think about those kinds of places, you realize it's where you are often out having a lot of fun and you're together with other people and you're having experiences and creating memories. There's a lot of moments in those locations that are, are really important to people's lives. And as a result, food service is this amazing place to think about how we can build our brands and do that in an incredibly contextually relevant way and how we can create unique experiences for people together with our brands and customers. And that's what makes working in food service, I think, just a ton of fun. I know it deserves a renaming, a rebranding, potentially. Food service just doesn't give it the pizzazz that you think it should deserve because it is, in my experience, it's one of the areas in CPG that has the most variety and, and complexity, frankly, because to your point, it is experiential. Your customers are B2B. I mean, that's true on the CPG side if you think about the retailers, I guess, but it's B2B and B2C on your side and you're trying to help their concepts in the restaurant world or the hospitality world perform even better. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's We think of it as B to B to C. And you're right, there's an analog with retail. The contrast with retail, as you can hear from the way I described it, is retail is more transactional. Sometimes, and this isn't intended to cast dispersion that some of our retail customers, but you don't typically show up at the office on Monday when that used to happen and when it will again and talk about the supermarket you went to and the experience you had there. You're more likely to talk about the restaurant you went to or the sporting event you went to or the movie you went to see or you know the trip you went on in the hotel or the resort you stayed in. Those are the kinds of things that we're typically more connected to at an emotional level. Yeah. Well, let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the things that are going on at PepsiCo. And I know there's been a journey, I guess, that the company's been on to reduce its plastics footprint, to build various sustainability initiatives. And I'm curious what you could tell us about the impact of some of those and how they're coming to life, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I talked about PepsiCo being a mission-driven company right up front. And part of that mission now is that we have a vision of a world where plastic will never become waste. 
And that, in the spirit of a journey, is a commitment that we have made and a journey that we're now on. And we've got a range of different metrics and goals that we've put in place by 2025, in most cases, to go and deliver against. And it's exciting to be a big part of that. And in particular, the area where my team is most focused on is around this Beyond the Bottle initiative. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things we're doing there and reducing the reliance on single-use plastic. And, you know, the way we think about that, I mean, the architecture of our strategy is relatively straightforward. It's reduce, recycle, reinvent. And, you know, on the reduction front, one of the things that we've learned that's really important is that consumers expect companies to be part of the solution in this regard. I think we all see the problem in our lives and, you know, we're, it's incumbent on us to help. So we set a target to reduce our virgin plastic usage by 35% across our beverage business by 2025. That's a big number. If I get into some of the specifics behind that, we're in 2020 going to be utilizing 100% RPET or recycled PET. Think of it as recycled plastic material or non-virgin material on our light water brand. Our bubbly water brand is going 100% non-plastic in 2020 as well. So we're making real progress, I think, on that front. Recycling's a, a really interesting one. Fun fact, more people think recycling or think is, it's complicated. People think recycling is more complicated. Let me try to state that a little more simply than doing their taxes. Fun fact. And it can be a little complicated, right? You know, what's recyclable, what's not, where do you put it, how do you do that, where's the infrastructure, et cetera. So we've set up a number of different partnerships and, and made some commitments as well. The first thing we want to do and um, we're committed to is to make 100% of our packaging recyclable by 2025. If I use the example of our US beverage business today, it's already 95%. So we're well on our way, but we've got to get to 100% across the board. And then through our different partnerships, we're trying to enable and simplify that behavior. So let's say we'll, we'll try to make it as easy as doing your taxes by 2025. That'll be our goal to do that. Please don't quote me on that. and then the last bit is really reinvention and that's where a lot of our beyond the bottle initiatives and food service come in and we've launched our soda stream professional platform which is a fantastic way that we i think have created and are prepared to launch to, to help consumers meet a range of their different needs that we've identified including taking single use plastic out of their behavior got it well, through the research I was doing to prepare for this conversation, I didn't actually realize that you guys had purchased SodaStream. I have a SodaStream upstairs in my kitchen and use it every single day. It's the only water I can drink, frankly, is water with bubbles. Um, and so it's interesting to me that you not only bought that platform from a consumer standpoint, but now you're turning it you into a professional one with the SodaStream professional. What is that? Like, Help me understand where it fits in the portfolio and how you're how you're introducing it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, as you said, we acquired SodaStream in 2018. It's actually the biggest sparkling water brand in the world by volume, and it's been just a fantastic acquisition for PepsiCo. I think you're a great example of someone who uses and has a habit with the SodaStream platform at home. What we're essentially standing up and rolling out is a piece of equipment that allows people to essentially have that and build that behavior when they're at work and when they're at school or when they're 
on the road and in a Marriott hotel, as an example. So that fundamentally is what we're creating. And the piece of, call it equipment, the product itself is what we would call a mobile-enabled hydration platform. And what it does is it really meets people's demands for the kind of water products that they want when they're out and about. So it's got a variety of different capabilities behind it that are really, really exciting. So there's product variety in a range of different variables. There's the ability to personalize those products and save those products and then come back and essentially pour those products again. There's an ability to digitally connect and do that in a seamless and now contactless way. And obviously, there's the ability to do that without using single-use plastic bottles. So we're excited about all those things. And it's all grounded in in some of the insights work that we've done over the last couple of years to build it. Yeah. So I'm envisioning the same soda stream formula that I want at home. I can get on the road at work, wherever I want to go. And in this contactless version, I guess I can somehow walk up and it knows what I want. <laughs> is that is that the the gist of what you're trying to to build with the platform? Yeah, it absolutely is. So it's mobile app enabled. So just to give you a sense of the experience. You, it's a fairly simple app download. You enter some fairly simple information about what your hydration goals are, and then you're able to essentially program your preferences, and you can then authenticate to that the equipment itself, either through your phone or through a QR code on a bottle. And it'll remember who you are and it can pour your favorites. And then in terms of the products themselves and what you have the ability to customize from, and by the way, you can create more than a hundred different varieties because there's, there's six flavors that are amazing. And then you have the ability to customize the carbonation level, um, the temperature level, and the intensity of the flavor itself. So you're able to really do all those things. And again, those are not, we didn't just create those because we thought they were cool. We created them because we did a ton of work to understand the different ways that people are now drinking water and what they're looking for and wanted to create that kind of experience that allowed them to do that. Gotcha. So what were some of the insights or the insight that helped you know launch this platform, if you will? What were you trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting at some of them around the ability to personalize, the ability to authenticate and make it simple, and the ability to create variety and the importance of flavor and the importance of both sparkling and still for most users that they wanted to have both. And this platform allows both. But the meta insight behind it really was that there's this belief that people have, this recognition that people have that their water consumption is important to them beyond, call it, that moment. That it actually is helping them be healthier. It's helping them, in many cases, perform at their best. And no matter what they're doing, whether they're working or studying or preparing for a meeting or whatever that may be, they recognize the importance of hydration and enabling their kind of best person and their best performance. And they see that as something which really enables them to kind of achieve what they want in terms of some of their long-term goals. So we were really surprised to hear the connection between their water consumption and some of their broader life goals. Sometimes that was even to be a better mother or father, brother, sister, et cetera. So it's really interesting that we learned that. And what we learned as part of that was everyone's got a goal 
as a result. They're telling themselves, I want to drink six glasses a day or eight glasses a day or whatever their goal might be. And a lot of goals are different. You and I probably have a different goal. What we also learned is they have a hard time achieving. And so what we're fundamentally trying to do is help people achieve those goals and meet their daily hydration objectives by virtue of making it easier, making the product taste better, and making sure we've got the right real estate strategy, so to speak, so that this equipment is readily available for them not just at home where you have it now, but equally when they're out and about and in some of our biggest food service channels. Got it. Well, one of the, I mean, I can identify with those life goals, if you will, just feeling better, frankly, being better hydrated. And it it does, I don't know if it's metaphysically or physically it does this, but uh, I feel better, which I think makes me more relaxed as a husband, less stressful as a dad, all those good things as well. So I identify with those insights. We're going to have to make sure we get you a, a soda stream professional piece of equipment at some other locations in your life outside of your home when in fact you're allowed to leave your home. That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, I know you introduced this platform last year and you're in the process of doing a beta testing. How's it going? Yeah, really well. We've been testing it with a bunch of our a bunch of our customers and we've been in places like we've been at Salesforce, the University of Rochester, the Philadelphia Airport. So we've been testing it in a variety of different locations and the the response has been really, really strong. I think the number is 91% of all the folks we talked to, and we've done a lot of engaging with, with some of our users and consumers, love the platform. And I remember I was at Penn State, and one of the users we talked to said, you're not taking this machine away, right? Because if you do, I'm going to chain myself to it, man. I, I'm going with it. You are not taking this piece of equipment away. I love this too much. And uh, I'm not sure everyone would have said the same, but I think it's a window into the love and the passion that people have for what we've created and the importance of what we talked about, water in their lives. So the beta test helped us really optimize the equipment, the product experience, it confirms a lot of things about the flavors themselves. They're all relevant. There's a good mix across them. The balance of still and sparkling and the role that each one of them play, the size of the pour, and we're now able to essentially help optimize some of the, the product and user experiences through those. And even things like location, what locations work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Best in terms of connecting with people at the different nodes in their day uh, that make more sense. So we're getting smarter through the beta testing and using that informs some of our launch plans going forward. 
Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Well, the thing that's current, obviously smacking us all in the face is COVID-19. And I heard some encouraging news, I guess, yesterday about two vaccines going into phase three, I guess, trials is what, what, I'm, what I'm looking for. So I'm hopeful that we're on the on the upside of this or on the nearing the upside of it. But how I'm curious how COVID's impacted your world at PepsiCo. Yeah, I mean, just quickly on on this piece of equipment, we made sure we we iterated to accelerate the development of a contactless application on, on this equipment. And certainly we're working with our customers. You think college, university, and workplaces have clearly been impacted. So we're modifying our plans to make sure we're working together to be there when customers open up, but also be, you know, responsive and a good partner with them. And, you know, as we get on the other side of this to make sure we're prepared for when those, um, those moments happen. I'll tell you though, that one of the things we've heard from our college university customers that as students come back and some will come back and some will be fully remote, but I think the number is 80% of all the students that we surveyed expect and want food and beverage to be part of their, what they get on campus and their they want that to be safer and packaged up and contactless. So we feel good about the proposition for, for some of those customers. As I pivot more broadly beyond that platform to call it the, the world of COVID for us as a food service marketing organization in total. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems a long time ago, right, into early March and as this all transpired. Um, what we did is we, I think, quickly responded and pivoted to focus on people. And we got really quickly reached out and made sure that our own people, first and foremost, were okay. Um, I know I was in touch with all the folks on my team and making sure that they were doing okay, that they were safe, that they were healthy, that they were in a good place. And we've subsequently spent a lot of time together and looking after one another. And and that's been that's been great as an organization. We made sure we were supportive of our frontline employees in particular. We're an essential business and we had folks who were in stores and in plants and have done nonstop. And we as a company, I think, have been incredibly supportive of those of those folks in a number of different levels. And it's made me feel proud of PepsiCo in the way that we've responded. The second group that we've been I think really responsive to is our customers. Uh, so all those different customers I talked about, a lot of them have been impacted pretty heavily by COVID. And uh, we put together a bunch of different initiatives to support them early on in the process. And we've been in particular helping them around areas like delivery and helping employees in the restaurant business in, in particular that have been impacted. So I'll give you a couple examples. We as a company committed $50 million to providing food and other vital resources to folks who were in need. We worked together with the National Restaurant Association's Employee Relief Fund, the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund, and together with Guy Fieri, we raised 23, maybe $24 million together with them to support impacted restaurant workers, created a little magic with John Krasinski on some good news that that show for Pepsi. And we used that as an opportunity to get another $3 million, $3 million plus into that restaurant relief fund, which was awesome. On the food side, we did a program called Give Meals, Give Hope, which was in partnership with the No Kid Hungry organization. And that was really focused on food insecure children who, when they don't go to school, 
don't necessarily have breakfast and lunch provided. And that became, I think, a byproduct of this that maybe a lot of folks weren't necessarily focused on. And we had the opportunity to help, and I'm proud of that work. We did some other fun things as well. You might have seen we did a Nacho Average Showdown with Guy Fieri and Bill Murray, which was like weirdly wonderful and, and was great. And that was fun. And, uh, you know, a range of different initiatives as well. Actually, another one we did, which was a great example of working fast, was we did a program called Drinks on Us, which was essentially a program to help our customers deliver to, there was a big global citizens concert back in April that you may remember with a bunch of top name talent and raised tens of millions of dollars. We made a big contribution to that. And we wanted to make sure that we could help our customers be a part of that by delivering the food and beverage to that. And we did that across, I think, I want to say 25 or 30 markets around the world, I think in the end, reached 60 million people with it. And, you know, in the course of a couple of weeks, created something pretty special and and lifted and shifted it around the world in a way that, you know, it certainly showed us how quickly we can, uh, we can work. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, you guys have been doing a lot. It was amazing to hear the all of the various ways that you're you're contributing, and I'm exceptionally proud of of what you're doing around the no kid hungry and the food insecure kids. I think this moment in time, and I hope we'll reflect back on it in history, at least in this country, on just the institutions and maybe what they do outside of their original charted missions, right? Like, so if you think about schools and the, the delivery of education, but how supportive they are and just making sure that people don't go hungry during the week. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think never been more important to be um, clear on your mission. And I think that as a business, as a brand, this is a time to make sure that whether you're PepsiCo or any other company and for the marketers out there listening, that's something that you're really conscious of and building the right plans to do that. Yeah. Well, and I am intrigued also on the on the more comical, funny side, the Bill Murray and Guy Fieri competition. That does sound like quite the experience. Yeah. So I have to check that out if I can find it. You wouldn't it. necessarily have expected those two, right? So yeah, yeah it was fun. We, uh, you know, working with Guy was awesome. He's so passionate. He cares so much about helping folks in the industry. And, you know, he brings so much energy to it. He's a figure who can obviously command an audience. So working with him was was really special. And I know he was incredibly appreciative of what, what PepsiCo brought. We were incredibly grateful for being able to work with him and, and just be helpful. I think to your point, we've just realized, you know, how much of an opportunity we have as a big organization with big brands and lots of people to help. And I haven't talked a lot about it, but one of the, I think, best aspects of this has been, first of all, how many people in the company, and I think I speak for PepsiCo, but I think there are a lot of companies who are probably could say the same thing. How many people want to help? And if you create those opportunities and you create a clear mission and a purpose, how energized that makes them as people, but also as employees and marketers. And I think it's made us a stronger team, a more connected team. And I think it's made us better marketers because it's, it's helped elevate our empathy muscle in terms of understanding people. And as marketers, there's really nothing more important than having that empathy muscle and that understanding and building any plan for a brand or a business off that muscle. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. As one insights guy to another. Right. <laughs> <laughs> empathy has to be key to what we do and should be for every human being, not just insight people. But yeah, I think we have an extra dose. 
potentially. I want to switch gears a little bit if you're okay with it. Uh, we do this on the show and it gives me a chance and listeners to get a chance to know the people behind the microphone on the other end. And um, my most favorite question, frankly, to ask people is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, mine happened really early in my life. When I was six months old, my family moved to the U.S. So, uh, and I came to America on a ship into New York Harbor. Harbor. So I'm an immigrant, and I grew up in a family that was always a little bit different from other people, and I always felt that. And we also moved around a lot, so I was kind of a new kid in a new context a lot. And uh, I think that has always made me feel a bit like an outsider who's trying to fit in and has something to prove. And I've worked hard, I think, to prove some of those things and tried to, in some ways, fit in while also not necessarily being setting up uh, the same way that everyone else does. And uh, I think that's helped do things like create a relatively uh, well-developed EQ, which I think has served me well. But also, as I've, I think, gotten older, helped me understand the benefits of coming at situations from a slightly different perspective. And I've become more comfortable, I think, zigging when other people are zagging or taking a different position. And I think early on in my career, I didn't feel that way. I also feel like big organizations like PepsiCo 21 years ago were in some ways less interested in that outside view. They may have needed it, but I don't think they quite embraced it the same way. And I think big company cultures changed a lot. So I think that immigrant experience from six months old and touching down on the Hudson River is in many ways shaped me ever since. Well, if you were starting all over again, what, what advice would you give to your younger self? It's kind of a corollary of that. And I tell myself to take more risks. Um, I think early in my life, I was, I may have come from that outsider position, but I think I played it safe a lot through my developmental years of high school and college and early in my career. And I was candidly, I think I was afraid a lot of failure and and that was a motivating energy in me. I don't want to say I have completely lost that. But I feel it much less now. Arguably, I have a lot more to lose now, but I don't feel that anymore. There's maybe some irony in that. And I think if I were to go back to my younger self, I'm thinking of a kind of first job, early career, et cetera, I'd, I'd probably encourage myself to do that. And even earlier in high school and college to do some of the things I didn't necessarily do. And I think that would have probably played out in a lot of different ways. No, I, I hear the combination of these two dual forces, if you will, actually from a number of folks and have a little bit of my own, obviously very different experience from you. But there is this notion of, you can call it like the striver or the, you know, a little bit of a chip on the block, a chip on the shoulder, I guess. You know, you're trying to prove yourself, make get to that next next rung on the ladder, so to speak. And risk mitigation is part of the part of the DNA, especially if you in some people's instances, you know, come from different socioeconomic status, you know, there's not a lot to fall back on, which drives even less risk taking. But you're right, like, it, there's no better time to take risks than earlier in your career. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'd say today, to again, to the, the audience, if, if anyone's a young marketer out there, organizations, especially big organizations like PepsiCo, it's very hard to disrupt and change big organizations. I think 
young talent has so much to give in terms of the perspective they bring, their connections to culture, their generational differences. And I would just encourage the audience to really take the opportunity to share your voice, be a little bolder. I'll tell you, I have a tremendous interest, never mind respect, in hearing from young talent and getting their perspective. And I will also say that I don't always do that. We're often not in rooms that allow that. We don't often have that opportunity the more senior you get in the organization. So that idea of even reverse mentorship and reaching down into the organization, the young talent say, help me understand what I need to be doing more of. Coach me, develop me. I think is, you know, is an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Well, this next question is utterly silly, but I love getting it, seeing where it goes from time to time. So curious if there's been an impactful purchase that you've made, say of a hundred dollars or less in the last six to 12 months. Yeah. It's funny. I, I thought about this last night and I, I wrote something down and I, I think I'm going to I'm going to do an impromptu riff now and I'm going to change my answer. I'm looking out my window at the garden and I was going to talk about seeds and gardening and getting connected to the earth, which is cool. But upon further reflection, I'm going to say Netflix and I'm going to specifically talk about Ava DuVernay and her work and when they see us and 13 and how powerful that's been for me to engage in her work and to just, I think, really deepen my own understanding, just to learn so much about what I knew but didn't know and to feel it and to internalize it and to really make a commitment, I think, to learn from her work and those stories and the the injustice and the structural challenges that exist in the world and the importance of working to resolve those. And I think I've made a, I've learned from that in a way where I'm committed for the rest of my life and career to make that a priority and to work against it. So as important as gardening may be, Ava has, um, I think, had a much more sustainable impact on me. And I'm, I'm excited about making that something that I'm working on for, for the rest of my time. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done for sure. And people like ourselves, older white men, <laughs> have a lot of privilege that we could put to use to the good work that needs to happen. So on that same journey with you to try to figure out how I can help. Yeah, that's awesome. I think there's so much more we can do. Well, good. Well, two last questions for you, a little bit more on the marketing side. I'm curious if there's brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of. Most marketers tend to be kind of students of what's going on around them. You just mentioned Netflix as one, but I'm curious if there's others. Yeah. And uh, and our old Pepsi friend, Bose, who's now uh, the CMO there. So looking forward to see what what she does and love watching her. I mean, she's a force into herself and it's amazing what she does. Her share the mic campaign is something that were she listening, I'd say, hey, let's do something more with that and make it even bigger and bring voices to other people beyond where where that platform has started. I think that's a big idea. But I'm less, I'm not going to talk about individual companies or brands. What I'm paying attention to now are companies and brands and how they're living their purpose, as we've talked a little bit about. And I think this is a time where having a purpose is really important. I also think it's a time where having a purpose is a little bit of the sort of thing du jour. And it's a really, I think, important 
exercise, that may not be the right word, but it's really important for brands and companies to take the time to figure out what their purpose can be or is, should be, and then to really embed that in every way in their organization and commit to it as a long-term sustainable plan and unpack their entire organizational structures and assumptions and norms to ensure that they are not being hypocritical as they do that. And that is really hard to do. And barely a week goes by that a company doesn't get called out for maybe not being consistent with their purpose and their mission and some of the values that they articulate. And no company is perfect, but I think that's a really interesting space to keep an eye on. I think companies that take position and really live that position day in and day out are, are going to be companies that increasingly consumers are going to choose. And those are going to be the brands that grow and the brands that win over time. Yeah. I'm actually going to be having a conversation with a guy. It'll come out before before this episode with Mark deswan Ahrens, the Institute of Real Growth, talking about the work that they're doing around purpose and helping people drive growth as a, as a related to driving their purpose. So I agree. It's an interesting time to be a marketer and not only are you responsible for growth, but you want to make it growth for all, you know, all stakeholders involved, not just the bottom line. So it's a interesting yeah, thing. Absolutely. We've done some work with him. He helped us shape our insights agenda actually four or five years ago. And he was great. And a guy by the name of Stefan Gans, who you may know, who's now our global head of, of insights, I think was working with uh, Mark and, and Stefan, a shout out to him and all the work he does on empathy for, for PepsiCo and, and a great guy and a great leader too. Awesome. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? Yeah, short-term thinking uh, would be one. I mean, it's always a problem and we've got to be responsive. And I've talked about being responsive and pivoting and, and doing some things quickly. And that's important. But I think as marketers, our responsibility to the organization is tell the organization where the consumer's going, where the market's going, and make sure we're leading the organization that way. So we've got to make sure that we continue to take a long, longer horizon view. And beyond call it horizon one, we're also working toward horizon three. So that's one. And the second, and I'm going to channel our own our old chairman, Roger Enrico, on this one. He gave a speech about 30 years ago called The Tyranny of Incrementalism. And it's a remarkable speech. And I probably read it once a year and share it with my team typically. And it talks about how dangerous it is to think that doing small things uh, will lead to big changes. And I think we as marketers have to continue to think about what are the the bigger opportunities over those longer horizons and the and the bigger changes that that we need to help organizations move toward help brands recognize and build toward so those are the two things i would say are the biggest opportunities slash watch outs for marketers today awesome well scott thanks so much for coming on the show i've really enjoyed the conversation yeah likewise it's been awesome i appreciate the time and thank you hi it's alan again marketing today was created and produced by me if you're new to marketing today please feel free to write us a review on itunes or your favorite listening platform don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.